Hey everyone, you're listening to Real Rap, a film comedy podcast by the Lady and the Tramp of Pennsylvania. Hey. Today we're talking about our top 10 movies from the 2010s. Is that right? When you said we're doing mov- movies of the decade, I was like, oh yeah, everything from the 2000s. But No, no, yeah, no. We are uh, talking about our movies of the uh, the decade that was, the decade that just ended, mm-hmm. folks. So we're talking, uh, we're talking all your favorites. We're talking Green Book. We're talking The Shape of Water, <laughs> The Shape of Water. We're talking Spotlight. We're talking The Revenant. Yep, we're talking, we're talking um, Birdman. I'm a bird, man. I'm an Irish man. <laughs> um, anyway, call in at 410-694-7228 with your top 10 or your favorite movies from the decade. Um, drag us through the mud. Do Say whatever you want. Uh, 410-694-7228. Anyway, enjoy this edition of Real Rap. Go check out our other episodes and Bennett's writing on splittoothmedia.com and find more of our episodes every week at patreon.com slash real rap. Boing! Look out! Help! Oh no. John O'Hara, better than anyone else, he told the truth about his time. He was a professional. He wrote honestly and well. <laughs> and and I'm very good, and I like it, and I'm talented because I'm very good at it. And he was a good, sweet boy. <laughs> <laughs> Frank O'Hara's headstone, on the other hand, grace to be born and live as variously as possible. That's frankly unintelligible. I prefer John O'Hara's. Mm-hmm. John O'Hara's also has this big fucking like Florida Lee on top of it. Looks I like he shelled out the big bucks. Oh, I've, I've always related to him as a guy with like a fully like misplaced chip on my shoulder. I really like uh, John O'Hara's <laughs> like lifelong it. axe grinding endeavor. Uh, it just uh-huh. it, it it feels like uh, he 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 feels like the brother I never had or something <laughs> like hundred uh, percent. And also he and Norman Miller, the imaginary chip on the shoulder is such an interesting. I think I have it in a I um, I have only realized this recently that I have this inability to totally give myself totally give myself over to like the work that I do and feel proud of it. Like I've had all these like social media accounts that I delete, try to retain my anonymity online um, and like refuse to indulge myself in being like, it's me. These are the jokes I'm making and this is my writing and this is, this is what I do. Like always being afraid to share the podcast, always being like kind of my, like mildly ashamed of the podcast. I feel like it's a similar kind of idea that John O'Hara and Norman Mailer have is that they like create this public enemy of theirs, right? That they create this like public enemy that is <laughs> trying to thwart their every move where in reality no one cares, uh-huh. but it becomes their life work to prove this imaginary group wrong Mm -hmm. which i guess everybody has it's like you know uh, 
uh, imposter syndrome or fucking, I don't know, but like building up this, this idea that everyone's out to get you, um, and, and, and characterizing them in your work and then convince like Norman Mailer successfully convinced everybody that there was just people, just so many people that wanted to take him down. but he was in the, uh, in the salt mines as it were, just like forging platinum from uh-huh. uh, his personal experience. Yeah, and it's it's only become more the case um, in the in in the era of the Donald Trump presidency. This idea of imagined nemeses and uh, mm, conspiracy mm. theory becoming kind of uh, popular ideology, right? Uh, very much. Yeah, uh, it's like uh, we're forced to like no matter what side you're on, you're forced to have an enemy, and it's like all the infighting on the Democratic side is. This it's the same formula that goes into hating anybody that's a Republican. I guess I really wish I didn't start talking about this. Hey, you know you can't win them all. And um, so speaking of a guy who's <laughs> who's fighting against an imagined system, uh, the first movie alphabetically on uh, on my list of the <laughs> my 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 favorite uh-huh. movies of the 2010s is a little yeah, movie, yeah, little movie called Buzzard uh, about a about a character named Marty Jakatansky. Who's also fighting mm-hmm. against a uh, system, uh, in his words. Uh, have you you you've seen Buzzard, right? Obviously, we've talked a lot about Joel Petrakis and his work. You still um, haven't seen Buzzard. Bennett, I'm so sorry. I have not seen Buzzard. C- can I spoil the best scene in Buzzard for you? Sure. Okay. I think you might have. Is it? Does it involve treadmill? No, 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 no. Um, okay. it, it it does involve food though. There's a bit where he makes a Totino's party pizza in the oven and he takes Uh it out and then he takes out another Totino's party pizza and he puts ranch dressing and Doritos on one Totino's Uh party pizza and then he puts the other (laughs) Totino's party pizza upside down on it and he eats it like a fucking (laughs) like a a quesadilla Um, it's really good Uh, it's a really really great movie Uh, and uh, Joel Petragas if he would just answer my (laughs) Twitter DMs is a really is a really great director uh who's uh is four for four as far as i'm concerned besides kelly Riker, yeah. i can't think of another director who is uh on a hot streak like this one bennett you really um i think you really tapped in and he would agree with you that you really tapped into what was alive in his work with your pieces that you wrote on splittoothmedia.com yeah, and um, I, I guess before we dive into other entries on our, our our best of the decade list, and I don't know if maybe you just want to go back and forth. Did you? Um, mm-hmm. I, I was just wondering. I guess if we could, if you could speak to the methodology to how you made your list, if it's ranked, if you did it alphabetical, and then um, I guess the thought process behind the movies you picked. Because for me, I didn't necessarily pick what I think are like the ten best movies of the decade. I picked. Um, I ended up picking eleven movies, and a little more on that later. <laughs> I, 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 I picked movies that I that I haven't been able to shake. I, I picked movies that mm. I think introduced me to like new favorite filmmakers, uh, or at, at mm. the very least, like new uh, filmmakers who I'm constantly going to be invested in. They haven't all panned out. Um, I, I I think uh, when I made well, first of all, I mean when I made this list, I had not seen Greta Gerwig's follow up. Um, I I don't mm-hmm. like a single other Alex Ross Perry movie other than the one I picked, mm-hmm. and um, I think I think Stephanie Spray and Pacho Velez's follow up to the movie on my list kind of sucks, but. Uh, in general, uh-huh. uh, I think the movies I picked are ones that made me invested in the careers of the people who made them. Uh, I'm just wondering if you could huh. speak to your uh, process in picking the movies you selected. Um, a lot of the movies that I saw this decade were very, very bad. 
um, like The Hangover Two, uh-huh. and because it, inc- I, I looked at the list of things I had watched, and it included a lot of things that I was watching in high school and early college, and it was not very good. And I've admittedly not seen very much movies, so I had a slim, slim range to pick from but i would say every movie besides one or two i have seen and have spent weeks and months and years later have thought about and felt like i was still relating the things that they did in my brain to the events that happen in my life or measuring the progression of my life against these movies. So as I kind of gained more life experience, I was like, what does that help me understand better about this movie? I get what you mean. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think these are all, yeah. Movies like that for me, or, or at least most of these are movies like that, that I, uh, to a certain extent, I find some part of them like inscrutable. Um, a movie that I feel mm. like I've got a great read on would be kind of a weird fit on this list. I think there's maybe right, like, yeah. I think there's maybe like one or two entries in this list that I feel like fully like comfortable with. But um, uh-huh. I, in general, they're movies that I find myself um, wrestling with my interpretation of them, and uh, mm. I don't know, maybe like second guessing things I think about them. Um, like mm-hmm. buzzard for example is a movie that i did not like really the first time i watched it now <laughs> as i've talked about before i was on 30 robitussin <laughs> gel caps and i watched uh-huh. it back to back i watched it twice in a row <laughs> and um, you didn't like it i was not crazy about it the first time i watched it i i, I couldn't get wow. like on its wavelength i think it was because i was again i was you know flipping on doses so to speak i was on the third plateau yeah. but um i you know it, it's, it's a, a movie i returned to it's possible yeah, I, it's what's well, it's 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 a movie that um it it is it's abrasive by design and I think uh-huh. for that reason I found myself kind of like reflecting on it again and again and I I, I uh-huh. after watching it twice in a row I think I watched it the following weekend again um I don't know and at that point it clicked um do you want to talk about the first entry on your list uh, Meek's cutoff sure Bennett don't say them for me sorry. Uh, my first one's Meek's Cutoff by Kelly Riker. This was in 2010, 2011. The first time I watched it was I had made the mistake of buying a projector. I projected it huge on my wall, and then I had these shitty little speakers and watched half of it, and I was like, I can't fucking hear anything. And then I was like, oh, this is like a quiet movie. I'm not supposed to hear some of this. And I kept like turning it up, turning it down. It was a horrible viewing experience. And then I saw it in the theater and on 35 at the Austin Film Society, and it was amazing, incredible. Um, Movie that in the way of like, you know, taking taking away your ability to know what's going on to understand what people are talking about to be kind of in a situation but definitely on a one focused on one perspective which is like this woman in a caravan in the west and you're lost being in that position is 
very hard to it's hard to bring your movie viewing tools to that experience of saying of going into it saying like oh this is out west it's a new arty type of western um trying to like square that circle in your head then actually watching it is very different there's like a native american guy that you don't understand anything he's saying and he's um captured as a prisoner and kelly Riker just doesn't give you that doesn't give you that person's perspective you only see them wrestling with what is going on um so kelly Riker puts you in a position i guess of being at a loss for what's actually going on and you have to only experience the world that she presents through this like very um tamped down perspective and so it just provides a really unique viewing experience that i'm definitely not done unpacking uh as you can tell by how i can't really talk about it i think it's um for me it's a movie that's easy to relate to mikey and nikki in the sense that on the surface it reads or it, it can look like just um rethinking this genre and then you watch it mm. um it being the western and the gangster movie kind of respectively for the two of them and then you watch it and it it, it just completely blows any of that out of the water any any mm. conversation about it's a it's a revisionist western it, i don't know you, you watch it and you realize like how how little uh, a phrase like that says about what the movie's doing uh-huh. you know uh-huh and even to say that it is like uh it's Taking it's giving a new history of the woman's side of being in the old west. It honestly is a pretty if it were to basically reclaim the narrative of what women went through in the west, it'd be a pretty lackluster t- uh, telling of that story because there's so little agency on the part of anyone uh-huh. in this, yeah, yeah. Um, that it's hard to re- it's hard to say that like. If 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 we were to tell the truth at all about the West, what the West was like, it would be it would be just long, painful, strange, uh-huh. completely like like run just the idea that Native Americans are somewhere beyond the hills trying to kill us, like. Oh, that's just like a baseline lingering fear that we all have, but otherwise we're just walking for fucking ever. Uh-huh. Until we just and fucking like, die. <laughs> until we die yeah. because maybe we're lost. Um yeah, I I I can't imagine the disappointment of anyone who cuz cuz one of the ways people tagged the movie was people talked about it being a feminist western. I can't imagine the mm-hmm. disappointment of someone reading that and then watching the movie expecting that (laughs) zoe kazan and michelle williams are really gonna tear somebody (laughs) down yeah are really gonna like um really really like stick it to like uh bruce greenwood's character where in reality it's yeah again to your point a a movie that really captures the lack of agency that fucking anybody had out in uh, the wilds of the oregon trail uh-huh. <laughs> I, it's kind of like this movie in totally limiting your perspective of what the hell's going on and where this is going to end and it, it you're put in a unique place as a viewer in that there's no story for you 
to get and there's no character for you to get like a better there are definitely characters that like they definitely have vibes but you you don't end up being like oh and he's that guy and that's this guy it's just like wow oh, that's bizarre oh that is weird and then it ends with them and kelly Riker loves to just make a final shot totally just like blow your fucking brain and be like i got you i watched that (laughs) properly yeah um and she ends with the native american and michelle williams just kind of making really strange eye contact through like a tree and it's like you're really not giving me any of this but again but that as well as like in having nothing else besides these like unspoken relationships and kind of having to read these like honestly like spiritual tones of each person and like a kind of hierarchical not hierarchical but like person unspoken personality traits of all these people you end up being a really keen viewer if you if you're open to it to like what are the small things that are happening that are like fundamentally changing the nature of this movie and like changing my perception of how all these people are interacting or like how anybody interacts by like paring down everything and making it only characters with like a wagon. I feel like to me that makes me a very sensitive viewer to like these these unspoken relationships that certain people have that you know in a in a in a worse movie it would be like, I want to kill you. Uh-huh. But in this movie, it's like, I don't always talk directly towards you. Sometimes I talk, when I'm talking to you, I look in a different direction. Like, you know, things that you can't, you you can't name. It's a, it's a really great movie. Um, much like every movie <laughs> she's directed. Um, not, that we, <laughs> not, not that we should be thinking about things in these sort of a ter- these sort of terms, but right. where does it uh, where does it rank in your uh, your estimation uh, amongst her filmography? For me, it's probably my uh, I'd say it's probably number three for me, behind Wendy and Lucy and another film we're about to talk about. Um, I think it's 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 just uh, it's one of my favorites because the the plot setup isn't as difficult for me to get a handle on uh-huh. um and like i feel like i can immediately kind of gauge wh- where i measure myself against it whereas a movie like certain women is a little is is much harder for me to like unpack because i f- i feel generally that there's that it, it a lot of it goes over my head because of the complexity of the narrative now, on the subject of certain women, um, I'm going to talk uh-huh. about an- another film that ranked uh, just ahead of it on my best films of 2016. Both of our lists. Um, I, and it's right before certain women, uh, alphabetically on my list, uh, camera person, <laughs> Kirsten Johnson. Uh-huh. This is, I think I've recommended this before in the podcast. This is a really incredible documentary by Kirsten Johnson, who's a cinematographer, uh, mostly, who shot a number uh-huh. of kind of canonical documentaries. And uh, this yeah. is a film that she compiled from kind of uh, B-roll footage, um, deleted wow. scenes, if you will, from movies that she shot and kind of tells uh, her story uh, by way of those clips. It's it, it's really incredible mm. stuff. Uh, highly recommend it. But um, let's move on to Certain Women, uh, the next movie alphabetically on my list, the movie mm-hmm. that we both have on our list. I think for my mm-hmm. money, probably the best Kelly Riker movie 
Um, I do, as you know, I'm like an Oscar obsessive. Since I was a kid, I've done mm-hmm. like my own lineups, uh, the Bennies. Um, <laughs> my 2016 Bennies, uh, four of the nominees for Best Supporting Actress are from the movie Certain Women. Uh, Laura Dern, <laughs> including the winner, Lily Gladstone. Uh, Laura Dern, Lily Gladstone, Kristen Stewart, and Michelle Williams. Um, I can't say enough about how much i love this movie and i i guess one thing and it's 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 not a piece i would ever want to write because i would never want to be known as being the person who says and i'm writing about the men in certain women but i would love to (laughs) write something about the men in certain women because i fucking love um uh what is lane price's real name um jared harris's performance Uh in this and i love james legros performance as um the uh the the cheating husband who's also sort of like shitty and oblivious yeah um, just an incredible movie character i forgot about him cheating on her like, i haven't seen the movie since it came out and yet it is on my top 10 well you mentioned um i guess we could both talk about the first time we saw it because for me I, I mean, I, I, I myself, I was in a fairly emotionally vulnerable state the first time I oh, saw it. Donald Trump yeah. had just won the election. I had just quit my job. <laughs> I, was, I was living on very, very, very little money. I was basically like stealing free samples uh, to eat. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> um, I, I saw this and the, the final shot, uh, it, it's Lily Gladstone uh, just sort of after this not quite relationship she struck up with Kristen Stewart. Um, Mm. I I mean, I guess we should maybe describe a little bit of the plot of the movie, but Lily Gladstone basically in this final shot is sort of returning to her farm work. uh, Yeah. And there's just a very like stark cut to black as you're reminded of like the loneliness of this person. And they're, I don't know, just sort of like singularity against like the indifference of the world. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. And then, of course, in the final, uh, the, the final ending title card dedicates the movie to uh, to Lucy, uh, Kelly Reichert's uh, dog, uh, immortalized oh, in the, God, the great that... movie Wendy and Lucy. I don't know. The, the ending yeah, of this movie just gutted me. me, balled my eyes out yeah. at the ending of this movie. <laughs> I was in. Uh, I was at the. Uh, don't remember the name of the theater in Cambridge, but watched it there with Annie and uh, got through the movie and didn't cry. Watched the credits and then it said uh, for Lucy, rest in peace. And I just fucking the entire ride home was sobbing like a fucking baby. Um, that was really hard news to hear, especially after watching a movie like this. That is just really stark and devastating. The something that struck me in this movie was Michelle Williams and her husband uh, was it James Legros? Is that what yeah, his yeah, his name is one of my favorite actors. Uh, talk talking to that guy that they needed the what is it like quarry stones? Ah, uh, it's like sandstone or something. Yeah, that he's got from like a quarry. Yeah, and like something about that setting up that situation and kind of all the situations of this movie are like. So, well, not all the situations, but they're like weirdly low stakes. And this, uh, like Kelly Reichert finding, um, 
you know, buying sandstone from this old guy that doesn't really need it but has it sitting on his land with your husband becomes the most, like, illuminating way of describing the relationship between this couple that things are going, like, a little south for. Mm-hmm. Um, I say a little because she doesn't know that he's, like, cheating, and even in the movie it's treated as, like, a subplot that like Just sort almost of isn't important. A thing, yeah. Well, it's, yeah, also, it's um, also clear. I mean, it, it, it's very much a movie of like microaggressions. It's very clear mm-hmm. the subtle ways he sort of belittles her uh, in their conversations with the guy. I, I love the dynamics between okay. the two of them and their daughter too. Um, just uh, oh, yeah. kind of her subtle alienation from like the rest of the family. Uh huh. And also his like way of talking while laying down. <laughs> <laughs> There's one scene where he's where they're they basically go into the sandstone thing and being like, okay, we're going to say this and this. And then they go in and the husband is immediately faltering on this thing that they set up. And Michelle Williams has to do all the legwork of like cutting a deal with this guy. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when Kelly Reichert shows how a man fails his wife in day to day conversation, I am directly implicated. I'm like, Oh fuck. Yeah. I, I definitely do shit Uh like that. Like, trust people way too much not go with the plan that we made uh, be like well he seems like a nice guy and like letting someone in our house and like change our electric uh-huh. um and it's like a scam or something it's amazing how she creates these like masculine characters who are just like fundamentally flawed uh in like a not poking fun at them but just showing how they like fail themselves and the people around them in way in like just regular conversation. Yeah. And I, 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 I love uh, Jared Harris's final scene. Uh, Laura Dern goes to like visit him in jail and he's just going to lunch on a, on a milkshake and like a cheeseburger. Mm. And that's, uh, that's, that's how, uh, that's how I'm trying to be to, uh, to borrow the parlance <laughs> of our, uh, our day. Um, uh, next movie for me alphabetically is the color wheel. This was the one it came down. I couldn't decide. I ended up putting 11 movies on my list because I couldn't decide between two movies, uh, the color uh, wheel, uh, Alex Ross Perry's film and, uh, lady bird, Greta Gerwig. Hell yeah. Um, and I, I thought it was interesting that, um, I, I came down between the two of these movies because, I think the color wheel is among the most abrasive films I can think of. Uh-huh. And lady bird is among the most comforting. Uh, <laughs> I watch bits and pieces from it all the time. Um, I, I uh-huh. can think about that movie and just cry and cry. Um, really? Uh, color wheel is a movie that I think you have to see. I think you would really like it. Um, it mm-hmm. uh, just basically follows these, this insufferable um, brother and sister as they're going on a road trip to move her stuff out of her ex-boyfriend's apartment. Um, there's a, mm-hmm. a bit that I don't, I, I, I'll, I'll spoil it for the sake of our listeners. There's a bit where they're pretending to be married uh, to stay in a hotel in like one room. And this guy 
the guy who's like the proprietor of the hotel, the innkeeper, so to speak, uh-huh. <laughs> points to a sign behind him that he has taped up on the wall that says, I need to see all married couples kiss. Uh, it's uh, really good stuff. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really funny gag. And like the sign is there throughout the whole scene and you don't quite notice it. <laughs> and then he points to it. Oh my um, God. Yeah, it's, um, it's really great. The less said about every other Alex Ross Perry film, the better. I think he's kind of a hack. Um, I, well, I like her smell, I guess, enough. I like Elizabeth Moss performance, Moss's performance. But um, Color Wheel, highly recommend it. Uh, mm-hmm. There aren't very many films that came out this decade better than this one. And it's kind of the definition of what I'm talking about when I say like movies that I just haven't been able to shake. Um, mm. Sean Price Williams, cinematographer on that, who also, he did work on basically uh, most of the... <laughs> better movies of the decade yeah he's kind of the cinematographer of the decade um shane mm-hmm. uh your your next movie is another mumblecore effort audrey the train rack um i don't know if you want to talk about mm. both of the uh frank v ross films you have in your list yeah i've got a uh, tiger tail and blue and audrey the train wreck on my list i'll start with audrey the train wreck i was introduced to this when i was probably 20 years old and was very much not ready for it. Um, I didn't quite have a day job at that point, and I feel like I was kind of lost in like the stark day-to-day work life that was like presented in this. Um, but it's another one that, as I've gotten older, it, I kind of... I it's something I've gone back to and again had to measure my like work life as it's developed you know my career Bennett uh and like see how I felt about it after learning what it's like to w- work at a place for a long time um and Brett wrote an amazing piece on this movie uh on splittoothmedia.com so I I I it's hard for me not to just steal all of his um, ideas, but this is a movie that seems on the surface like uh, just a, oh, this guy made this cute mumblecore movie about weird characters, uh, but I highly recommend people give it a, a very deep look because there's a, so much that happens in glances that people pass, in um, ways people say things, in the exchanges roommates have, in the way that the shots are set up, in in the way that uh, Frank V. Ross will show you an egg in the refrigerator three times that um, definitely reward you on multiple viewings. There are, you know... There's a hundred ways to cut open a pig. There's a hundred and one ways you can watch Audrey the Trainwreck. Uh, the it Frank Ross is a is really good at making you feel like you're watching like the what people who work at Walmart go home to, mm-hmm. especially in a movie like uh, Present Company, which is just disturbing the way it's lit. Um, the way it's scripted, it just feels so uncomfortable. Just so uncomfortable. Um, but it never goes to the point of being disgusting or being that you have to like 
that you you're like this is um you know too dark it's just quite ordinary uh audrey the train wreck that is i would say tiger tail in blue where audrey in the train wreck audrey the train wreck is kind of devastating in like day-to-day life tiger tail in blue is more of a drama or like uh you know frank v ross mumblecore i'm sorry to use those words mumblecore uh it's a more frank v ross's idea of like a longer relationship relationship drama as it like elapses over time it's about a couple one works in the mornings as a teacher the other works in evenings as a server and it is about them just kind of missing missing each other like in the night and this is something now being in like a long-term relationship I just completely go back to all the time to the point where Annie and I reference like are we turning into Tiger Tail and Blue? Like we said that the other day. And it's like, oh, well, I hope not. Um, but it's like this loving couple that like, you know, goes home and like will one person will get home from work and kiss the other on the cheek while they're in bed. And like, it's very sweet. But then like you kind of come to terms with the reality that like they're not together all the time. And like no matter how much they like each other, there's just going to be strain on the relationship in in ways that we can't account for. Interesting uh, thing I'd like to relate similarly to that. Um, it's a movie I measure my relationship up, ag- up against constantly because towards the beginning of our relationship, Annie and I watched this movie, and I feel like Annie's a much better film viewer than I am and because I'm just taking in way too much baggage and fucking art film poison to any good movie that I'm watching, and she can just react to them. And uh, the second Tiger Tail in Blue ended, there's like a twist that when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's an interesting move. Wouldn't expect that. Any like the credits rolled and we were like, and I was like, yeah, so what do you think? Because I had seen it once before and she was just kind of looking around. She's like, huh. And like, just kind of like not saying anything. And then like four minutes later, just started, just bust into tears and was like, why? Why would they do, why, how did that, I can't, how, I can't believe that hap, I can't believe he would do that, I, like, I, she couldn't believe that the director had done something to make us feel <laughs> so poorly at the end, mm-hmm. or make us feel like just so, just the sense of, just a, a general sense of betrayal, um, but not in a cheating or a relationship way of just like a very hard feeling of kind of just sadness Uh and uh anyway brett related that comment to frank v ross who has to this day been like hey can you tell that girl who one time (laughs) watched the movie uh years ago with her boyfriend that like thanks i'm really glad that she likes my movies so that is a my very special anecdote from that movie I, I have to see it. I have to see more Frank Free Ross. I've only seen Audrey the Trainwreck, which uh, made my uh, made my hundred list. Probably a movie that I'm underrating. I, I found the opening when the guy gets hit in the back with a dart to be uproariously funny. Um, I need to see. I need to see more of um, Frank Free Ross. Yeah, he's a the the movies are all different. I would say it's hard to pin this guy down, and he's definitely I would say 
on Kelly Records' level of making just these really various movies that have a similar like spirit to them um, that just kind of will shake you up, shake uh-huh. you out of your uh, viewing uh, days. The the next movie on my list is another one from a a guy who I need to see more of. Uh, Hong Sang Soo recently because we need to have more guys, more dudes. Because we need more dudes making movies. And you know what? This one's <laughs> I'm gonna dedicate this episode to the guys, the dudes, and the fucking lads. All right. Um, Hong Sang Soo's uh, The Day He Arrives is actually a movie about like guys being dudes. It's um. It's about this guy, he's a professor at a film school in like a small town in Korea, and he goes to Seoul to um, meet up with um, his uh, his like mentor again, and uh, he gets like wasted and like meets up with a bunch of like film students who like look up to him and then just like knocks on his ex-girlfriend's door. And mm-hmm. we, we see like the same day play out um, like three or four times over the length of the movie. Uh, really incredible, and by all accounts, a lot of Hong Sang Soo's movies have uh, similar um, temporal gimmicks like that, uh, time repeating itself, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, really incredible stuff. I um, I have only seen it uh, twice. I watched it to help my sister write a paper. is uh, is how I saw it, and by help I mean write. I, I mean write a paper. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, I, I highly recommend it. It's on Canopy right now. If you have, uh, if your local library has Canopy, um, very okay. much recommend watching it. And I, uh, I certainly intend to watch more of, uh, of his films in the, uh, in the new year. Shane, you want to talk about Archipelago and, uh, maybe use that as a way to talk about the, uh, Joanna Hogg, the other Joanna Hogg movie as well. That, um, the both other, of us have other list. Joanna Hogg. Yeah. yeah. Um, Joanna Hogg is someone I discovered this year. And she totally kind of, I thought that I had seen it all. And then I saw Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir this year. And then I went back and saw Archipelago. And there's very few movies that you go into and you're like, uh, I'm just going to go see what this is. or And then you're pleasantly surprised. Like, I feel like it's happened. Um, I, saw, I saw like Embrace the Serpent on a whim. And I was like, oh, that was really cool. Uh, but there's few that I've been like, I'm just going to go to the movie theater, see what happens. This was one where I was just like, whoa, I saw a good fucking movie. Um, another thing I haven't I haven't seen since after watching it, um, The Souvenir, but just the way that she edited it, I think specifically, was really affecting and making me a viewer that was looking around constantly that was really concerned with piecing together this like uh ongoing trauma but not in a way that made me want to guess what the plot was it was like a uh a look it was a a relationship drama told in a completely different way that makes you consider the ways that like people in a couple treat each other just without context, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and it makes it feel like this is freaking more, uh, there's more dead bodies in this than 19 freaking 17. Probably. I've not seen that movie, but, um, it does feel like a war that is happening. And, 
the hate to say it, but the final shot just fucking blew me away. I don't know how she conceived of that. Archipelago has similar moments where really she, the final scene doesn't quite match up with the spirit, like like the battering ram of your spirit, like having a SWAT team kick your heart in. Uh-huh. Um, but there is one specific shot. Let me, I really, I have to ar- articulate what happens in Archipelago because I haven't talked to anybody about it yet. There's a family of three, a mom, a son, and a daughter. And then there's a cook, and then there's a painting teacher that helps the mother, mm-hmm. that is like teaching the mom painting. And they're on vacation together. And the kids are old now, but they're all visiting together at their old vacation home. And then there's a cook that basically cooks all the meals for them, but like is privy to all their conversations. And there's this weird dynamic between them. It's like, she's the cook. She can cook, like... The son wants to like help her out in the kitchen. It's like, no, she's the fucking cook. She just like this is her job. It's fine. And the family will get in these really personal arguments. And the cook will be in the background basically listening to it at all times. And you don't really get her perspective. And then we just get this shot of her like scaling this craggy wall like by the coast, because they're in like whales or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like a 45 second shot of this cook just like doing like rock climbing essentially. And I was like, Whoa, you, the Joanna hog found a way to make a situation that someone is in into like this really, uh, striking like visual poetry. And I only say poetry because it seems like it's out of context, but it's like, all the tools in that world that are already available to her. And she's just showing you a shot of a person doing something, but, and not saying that it's a metaphor, but just showing you like, Oh, this is how this is a person navigating something. Mm -hmm. And like, just she'll, she'll, she, in the way that she like edits her movies together, she'll give you, she'll present you ideas through the way things are pieced together. That like reminds me of the way that I read a poem. It's like, I don't, I don't know exactly what's happening, but she's able to jump from one idea to another and and articulate a connection between those without having to like hold my fucking hand or like point out at it. She somehow ha- has like a, a overall kind of conception in her head that she's able to like I don't know stretch in all these different ways by the way she arranges characters and the way she like presents certain situations at certain points in the movie. There's one scene in Archipelago, and this is the last thing I'll say, that just... When we talk about fucking Save the Cat-ass screenwriting techniques, nothing will fucking match up to the way that she mends this relationship between a brother and sister who are in a very bad argument that seems that like none of them can come back from, and... The sister's screaming in her bedroom to the mom. She's slamming her door. And then it's like the day later and the brother is coming up to like tell her that like, hey, breakfast is ready. And he cracks open the door and we only have the shot from inside. And he fucking puts a finger puppet in where his head would be in like, hey, breakfast is ready. Mm -hmm. And like using that, it's like Joanna Hogg has a sister or a brother. She's been in a difficult situation with them. She knows a exactly what 
type of fucking absurd, insane navigation that you have to do. And then like the brother is like, comes up with this genius thing that only a brother could come up with. It's just, I, 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 I'm trying to write about this movie right now, and I really just, I don't know how to articulate when something is so obviously, like, informed by, like, a family experience. It's like, oh, yeah, I've been there. Oh, yeah, I didn't even know that's what I did in that situation. That's what it's like to treat your sister like shit. That's what it's like to treat your brother like a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, on the subject of, of, of her movies being informed by real life, I mean, The Souvenir is uh, a pretty nakedly autobiographical film. And I think we mm. we talked about it in our Patreon episode what's so wonderful about it. Uh, in addition to it just feeling so lived in and authentic, um, you know, it's a movie about addiction in a very literal sense. And I think it's also a movie that really captures what it's like to feel as if you're addicted to a person um, mm. and to sort of keep returning to a bad relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we talked a lot in our Patreon episode about how um, she doesn't like let herself off the hook in her her characterization of the uh, the, the sort of Joanna Hogg character in the movie. There's many scenes uh. in the souvenir of her kind of talking about this maybe somewhat like um, cultural touristy movie that she want to make. That she wants to make. She's talking about like wanting to like let herself out of her bubble, and I think she's very much mm. like opening herself up to sort of um, you know here here's what I was like when I was young and uh, you mm-hmm. know maybe uh, not as smart as I thought I was or something like that. I, huh. I, I think it's yeah. a just really incredible movie. I, the, I have not seen Archipelago. I've seen uh, Unrelated, uh, which is her first movie, which um, mm. uh, you, you talking about the arguments in Archipelago makes me really want to watch it because Unrelated has this really amazing scene where Tom Hiddleston is arguing with his father and you're watching it from like afar. You're watching it from like the pool uh, and you're just wow. like hearing it from the house and it's such a it, it yeah. just perfectly captures like what it's like to like watch like if you have like friends who are like a couple and they're fighting or if like oh your friend God. is like fighting with their yeah. mother or something um really really great stuff next one on my list uh alphabetically is if i were ranking these it would probably be number one deep blue sea uh terrence davies uh he's hmm. he's he's a filmmaker for me uh it's been a phenomenal decade for him um uh, he made sunset song which is a great film he made um uh, a Quiet Passion, the great biopic about um, Emily Dickinson. This movie, Rachel Weiss is uh, a woman who's married to uh, a judge, this kind of like older, not especially interesting gentleman who's very wealthy mm-hmm. and she strikes up an affair with this um, uh, World War II uh, pilot played by Tom Hiddleston. Uh, who's much flashier and like sexier, but also like doesn't have it together and like is like mm-hmm. an alcoholic and has PTSD. And she strikes up an affair with him that sort of like tears her life apart. And then uh, at, after it ends, uh, tries to kill herself. And it basically all plays in flashbacks from that day. Um, it's got a few sequences that I think are among the best sequences, not only of the decade, but of like the history of film. <laughs> There's this bit <laughs> where. Um, there's this bit where she's running down into the subway station and she's going to, I guess they call it the underground or the tube in the UK, as our friends across the pond would say. Uh, and she's going to, uh, she's about to throw herself in front of the train. And um, it goes into this like flashback and um, it pans across the whole track. And in like this single shot, it like takes us back into time um, as she's remembering being in the underground mm-hmm. during like the blitz with her husband. Um, with like mm-hmm. all these people and they're like together singing. I'll send you the clip. It's it's just this really un- unbelievable sequence. Um, Tom Hiddleston is really incredible in the movie um, as just sort of a very like sexy cad. Um, Rachel Weisz should have won 10 Oscars. Uh, really just incredible movie. 
mm. kind of just everything I want in a movie. <laughs> uh, it's got it. Um, next on your list, the 24 frames, a, uh, a Kiarostami that I've not seen. Hmm. Oh yeah. 24 frames by Abbas Kiarostami. It was finished after his death. So I think that lent to my experience of it. Incredibly sweet movie. Uh, it's basically 24 static shots that are of like a landscape. Movie is really strange. The setup is really strange in that he could have shown... Um, just frames of places in real life but he gives a frame of a of like an actual landscape i guess and then it's cg it's like cgi'd animals in those frames doing just animal things and so it'll be like there's some shots that are like window panes and then you'll watch that for five minutes, but then you'll realize like, oh, each window little frame has is like its own frame of like action. And there are certain like certain things, in, like there's a, fr there's one frame that's like at a beach and there's these vertical poles just kind of set up in the frame. And then you'll realize that like, as you keep watching it, there's those those poles act as like a division of the uh -huh. frame and like certain things happen outside of those divisions. Certain things happen inside. It just totally made me, uh, it was like being told about framing your entire life in photography class. And then someone actually taking the time to silently show you, this is like what a frame can do. These are, this is like, uh, this is how life kind of expresses itself through the idea of a frame which sounds like a cliche because it's called 24 frames, but it's, I, I, I'm sure you've had a similar experience of like watching, um, that great lakes movie. It's like you get told about a lake and uh -huh. then, and then you experience 10 minutes of a lake. I was just about to compare it. I, I, I do need to see this movie and I'm kicking myself that I didn't see it on the big screen. Um, when, mm. when Lightbox was doing the Kiarostami retrospective, because mm. this feels like a movie that, the only other way to watch it would be on my phone, uh, press up against my <laughs> face because I think this would lose everything uh -huh. if the option to look at my phone was like on the table. Um, I uh, think you need to be sort yeah. of immersed in this movie. I, I, I love, yeah, I love the James Benny movies like 13 Lakes and, and 10 Skies that just sort of um, exist as like structural exercises. Um, yeah, mm. I, I will have to check it out. I, I've said this before, I'll say it again. My, my cosmic brain take about 10 Skies was like... <laughs> like we're really looking at like an infinite number of skies man <laughs> <laughs> it's true um, yeah because it's yeah i mean it's uh, it's 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 so much more interesting than like the name would suggest <laughs> yeah and and i there, there when this i feel like it didn't get much talk like even in the art film community there were people when i was working at the art theater that started this movie 10 minutes in were like you gotta be fucking kidding me and walked out it's like have you seen that shit? That mm -hmm. shit is fucking bullshit. I'm like, oh well, and you titled to your opinion. And, and also, I, I it's not like I, I, I'm sorry. People need to do a little bit more research before they go into fucking movies. No one should ever be in a situation where they're walking out because, uh, right? They're, 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 
didn't do what it said in the tin. I'm sorry. Like I, I don't. I try not to read reviews before <laughs> I go see a movie I actually want to see. I try not uh-huh. to watch trailers before I go see a movie I actually want to see. But like, right. you got to read the synopsis or something. You've got to. Mm. You have to have some sort of <laughs> your, your your feet under you. Especially right. Kiaris Tommy, I mean, infamous infamous uh, infamous purveyor of slow cinema. Roger Ebert famously <laughs> gave. Um, uh, I think between the olive trees or something. Uh, 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 uh-huh. Zero stars jackass you have up next uh ex libris is that right yeah uh wiseman's documentary about the new york public library i'll try to keep it brief here it's um it's just really incredible it um it like all of like his best movies um mm-hmm. i don't know says a lot without getting up in your face and um as a guy who loves a good book guy who loves a library uh really uh you know uh, scratches that itch. Uh, I saw it with Carter, and Carter scoffed when we were watching the credits. And editor came up and he's like, "Editing," because uh, it's a <laughs> three-hour, you know, observational documentary. <laughs> um, next on mine, I have the Forbidden, or no, I have T- Tony Erdman. Wow, what a fucking movie! Hilarious. Character, insane character, characters that I don't even know how um, you could imagine somebody like this, let alone play one in a movie. Uh, I still reference the cheese grater joke in this, which is very funny. Honestly, kind of like an Elaine May s- style of humor in this, and that it is so fucking absurd. And but I would say the jokes land in this one a little bit more than in they do in an Elaine May movie. That's right, I said it, folks. Wow, it's um, a very Elaine May-ish movie. It's it's certainly like a snout-to-tail kind of gag fest. I, I still reference yeah. the bit where the guy jerks off under the petty four and she eats it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very strange. Um, goes to very strange places. Feel maybe just because it's in such like bright color and I saw it at a movie theater, I was like, this feels like I'm in the future. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, uh, I the way you described the relationships in Archipelago, Archipelago honestly made me think of um, Tony Erdman and Marinade films in in general. Mm-hmm. Um, she she mm-hmm. has another film, Everyone Else, that I that I really love, um, which similarly has just this very like lived in feel about the way who only people who really like love each other can fuck with one another. <laughs> um, yeah, true. Uh, Brett had a good point about Tony Erdman, isn't that? The only way that these people could, and this is a similar thing in Archipelago when like they're in an argument and the brother can only talk to the sister through a little fucking finger puppet. Tony Erdman can only speak to his daughter by like doing these jokes, talking, like being a character uh-huh. and then having a serious conversation or like doing some type of performance that then communicates an idea. He has to wear a wig and like fake teeth to be yeah. but, oh, <laughs> just to God. say hello. Yeah. So, so good. Um, so they've been funny. threatening to make an American remake for a long time. Aye, um, aye, aye. Yeah. Why? Why? Uh, Do you see the American remake of uh, Force Majeure is coming out this year? It's called uh, Downhill. I think it's premiering at Sundance in a couple of days. Mm, I hope yeah. that film reel rolls down a hill and ah. never gets found again <laughs> i guess the movies really are going downhill um, <laughs> these things write themselves uh the next one and, and like i said i was i was kind of wringing my hands between putting this one in the color wheel uh the next one for me is ladybird um i just think it's a 
just perfect movie. I think mm-hmm. there's really not a not a moment out of place. Um, I'm someone who I hate I hate sweetness. I hate things that are nice. I hate like wholesomeness. <laughs> and nevertheless, I adore this movie. I could watch it every day of the week. Um, mm-hmm. It's ah, oh, it's it's so great. The bit the bit when she's they're waiting to get like picked up after practice and they're talking about the theater director's like son who's died from like a drug overdose. And the one girl is going like. Yeah, you know, they were saying maybe it's suicide, but my mom says if you're that careless with your life, what's the difference? And then you hear honk honk, and you're like, oh, there she is. <laughs> so good. <laughs> oh. So so many wonderful bits in that movie. There's a bit toward the end where she's at college, and she's, like, hooking up with some guy, and he's going through, like, her, like, sleeve of CDs, and he goes, oh, your taste in music sucks. It's all greatest hits. And she goes, yeah, but they're the greatest. Oh, so good. So, <laughs> so, many, so many wonderful lines in that movie I, you had the pleasure of uh well you didn't see it in sacramento yourself right just annie no i did in, uh, you you saw you had the pleasure then of seeing it in sacramento i know um annie... i saw it at the dang tower theater where they show they show the actual theater in the movie i'd have i'd have yeah. bawled until my eyes fell out i think <laughs> everyone <laughs> and I with a w. <laughs> every single it was a full house all old people and they were all crying uh-huh because it was like literally every scene in the movie I had driven by in the in the week previous. Oh, like it's a, Sacramento's a quite a small town that's like experienced similarly by everybody that lives there. I think, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was a very like it was just a really I've never seen anything in that way of like being totally immersed like just within that week being totally immersed and then seeing a movie about that place is like whoa. I yeah I, I can't even imagine. I have to imagine the final sort of montage of Sacramento locales must have got a lot oh, of yeah. uh, like out loud a crying lot of tears yeah. <laughs> when she's literally talking about like the first time you drive in in Sacramento. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, even oh. the 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 big houses they go to that's like a thing. It's called like the Fab Forties or something. Uh-huh. It's like a thing everyone knows. Like oh, those are the nice houses it's 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 i mean we've been talking about this with a couple of the movies it's it's a movie where 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 the relationships just feel so so lived in and stuff there's the moment i've talked about a lot and i think a lot of people have talked about it in their reviews um there's mm-hmm. the bit from the trailer when they're at like the thrift store and she's buying a dress for for, for the prom and they're like fighting and then mm-hmm. you uh you cut to that night and her mom is making alterations to it mm-hmm. um just in the middle of the night before she goes into like an early shift to work as like a nurse and it's never commented on. It's just, uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a movie that, that, that pays attention to those. Like I'm about to cry just talking about it. It's a movie that pays attention mm-hmm. to like the little like <laughs> sacrifices. Uh, I don't know that are, yeah. that are a part of, uh, you know, being a member of a family and, and yeah. stuff like that. Great movie. Um, the forbidden room, another movie I've never seen. Uh, it's still on Netflix, I believe, and I, I keep meaning mm-hmm. to. Um, this movie, for me, I haven't really thought about it much since I was running out of stuff on my list. <laughs> it was between this and an animated movie called Bird Boy, which I really liked. Um, but I thought it was cool because I saw, I got to see Guy Madden talk at the Harvard Film Archive, and I like Guy Madden. I know people are a little hot and cold on him. Um, but, uh, Forbidden Room was kind of more of, like, his style, which is, like, insane haphazard editing with, like, dreamy-ass poetic, um, like, spiritual storytelling, 
and uh, Forbidden Room felt like the physical film was like melting the entire time. And I, it, did you ever see uh, At Land? The by, uh, Maya Darren? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like that, in that he's putting you in a, um, putting you in like a f- space that can only exist on film where you're like, it feels like you're one entity that's navigating like all these different situations and you're like crawling through just like a fucking Atland is such a fucking vibe. That's a best of the decade because it's a dang tra- <laughs> best of any decade. Movie. Yeah. That movie's fucking it communicates this idea like that you get in film. It's like I'm one person that's like navigating all these different situations at once. Like I'm fucking crawling on the beach and then I'm like in the fucking jungle. And it's like your brain can do that the way movies are edited. Like you just pick, you just end up, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe Atland. She's just crawling through like what seems like one continuous like time tube Mm -hmm. and like going to all these different places. But anyway, that's kind of what Forbidden Room feels like. There's like no distinctive cuts between what's happening there's like these multiple things happening and then shit is just like melting like the film stock looks like it's melting and it's all fucking colorful and cool um i never i never think about it but Mm -hmm. i if i saw it again i think i would have a, a lot of fun it was one it was a movie that i remember specifically like going out in the snow no one else wanted to see it no one fucking cared about guy madden and I was like, I'm going and going to watch this. And I watched it in an empty theater on film, and it was fucking cool. I, I think we've talked about it. I think he would be a great person to do an adaptation of the Nabokov novel Pnin. Because, like, the, the weird <laughs> sort of, like, the, like, the melting, like, film stock and this, this weird sort of, like, dreamy way of, like, evoking memory. I think the way, like, Pnin uh-huh. operates both in, like, the past and the present at once. I think he could do really interesting mm. stuff with that. <laughs> That's true. I gotta read that book again. That book is fucking fucking incredible. Very bizarre. Just one of those ones that I could read like every week if I had to. Yeah. <laughs> um, then the next one for me is a movie I also saw at college. Uh, Monacomena. It's a Harvard Sensory Ethnography Lab documentary. Uh, it's about a cable car that's up to this uh, shrine in Nepal. And it just follows uh, mm. a bunch of rides uh, either up or down on the cable car, wow. uh, just sort of following uh, the people uh, going up. Uh, really kind of incredible stuff. And it was such an interesting um, like experience because uh, we the, the filmmakers came on like a Saturday for the, the, the film series that Scott ran. And there was this religious mm. studies class that was required to attend the screening. And it was just so uh. interesting watching all of them file out as soon as they realized it was okay to like leave. Um, oh just watching, watching the people from like our class that were like really like, wow, wow this is crazy. This is so good. This is so great. Versus the people who were like, all right, okay, well, this is, this is wow. it. We're just, <laughs> we're just watching them. Oh <laughs> we're just watching them go God. up and down. <laughs> um, it, it, it's really great. Um, highly recommended the Harvard sensory ethnography lab. I've got a, I've got a piece uh, coming soon. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, uh, a I'm already dead, and B you've already read it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, for my money, the best thing they've done, and that's and that's really saying wow. something. Shane, the last movie on your list, Winter Sleep. Mm. Um, is it anything like Winter yeah. Light? No, 
this movie is by it's the Turkish director, right? The Turkish director Nuri Bilge Ceylon. Um, I'm not going to get into it. You should just watch it. It's another movie that's very long, very bizarre, <laughs> and has a lot. Uh, there's a there's a through line of these movies in that there's like ba- there's like baseline familial tension that n- doesn't erupt but has moments of high drama um, through uh, basically just following these characters in their day-to-day life. Um, I would say the framing and the editing of this is... I don't know, really thought-provoking. And the man in this is like a, a guy who initially you look up to and then you basically start to understand why all men will always be fallible Uh for the rest of time and why they will just continue digging their own graves. Mm. um, Don't I know it? To to the women that are basically like telling them the truth the entire time and being like, you gonna wake up to this yet? Or are you just still just gonna ignore this? And then then the guy being like, well, I got to think about it. Mm Mm-hmm. I uh, I have to see it. I, I I I he's a big blind spot for me. Um, Ceylon. Um, I people like his movies a lot. Um, I know mm. um people like his movie. I believe it's called Climates. Uh, well liked movie from yeah. last decade. Yeah. You um, would really you would really like it. I I have to check him out. Um, the last movie on my list. Um, last alphabetically is Andrea Arnold. Uh, really wonderful director. Um, one of those ones oh. like. Kelly Reichert and uh, Terrence Davies that kind of won the decade for me. Her her adaptation of Wuthering Heights. It mm-hmm. is a movie that subverts all of the expectations and cliches of a costume drama, particularly a really tony literary adaptation. It's very sexy. It's very raw. It's very earthy, but without putting too fine a point on that. It's not. It's not a. This isn't your father's adaptation of Wuthering Heights. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it, it, it is that without saying it. I guess it's really incredible. My only gripe with this movie, and it's why I wrung my hands over putting it in my, in my top ten, although I love it so much, is it ends with a withering height. Or not, it ends with a um a Mumford and Sons song <laughs> over the credits, which made me want to fucking Ooh, off myself. The fuck. only the only time that I've ever seen a movie end with such a bad song was uh, <laughs> Lean on Pete, the Andrew Haig movie from a few years ago, ends with <laughs> Bonnie Prince Billy's cover of the R. Kelly song um, The World's Greatest. Oh. Now, that is a cancelable oh offense God. for a couple of reasons. Most notably, <laughs> most notably, not even the, the couple you're thinking of. So you listen to that song, and R. Kelly uh-huh. has a distinctive way of of, of talking, right? He, uh-huh. um, he I, 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 and, and <laughs> Bonnie Prince Billy recreates it to the letter. Is what I'll say. I'll Ooh. say that Bonnie Prince Billy um, uses what we might call a black scent uh, in parts mm-hmm. of this song in, in in covering it. It's really uncomfortable. And it's uh, it it just makes you think even more about the fact that you're listening to a cover of an R. Kelly song by. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. There's there's my ten, Shane. Uh, great ten from you as well. I really do need to see every one of the films that you, uh, you you put on there. I think what we don't get enough credit for, Shane, is that you and I both have great taste. 
Um, mm, that's actually yeah, big big blind spot for our audience. That's a big mistake on your end, guys and gals and everyone in between. Yeah, and as I mentioned to um, Brett and Craig, I think the only flaw on my list is that um, it ignores Martin Scorsese, who somehow, mm. despite being uh, between the ages of 66 and 76 this decade, I think has had the best decade of his career. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I, I don't know that it's especially cool to be like, hey, Martin Scorsese, good director, <laughs> but uh, he's had, a, he's had uh, quite a decade, guys. Uh, read my piece in The Irishman. <laughs> I vow to watch some, if not all, of the movies on your top ten list as my my viewing list for the next ten years. <laughs> for the next ten years, uh, I, I uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think all of these would give you like if I were if I were trying to like give someone a sense of like me, I, these these would probably be the movies I'd recommend. I realize like yeah. looking at them, like the stuff I like about all of them is is so much like uh-huh. the stuff I like in any movie. Um, I'm I, I'm excited to watch Tiger Tail and Blue. Oh yeah, might watch it tonight. Uh, uh, good movie. Um, not, I, I still have to see his newest um, Bloom and Mud Shuffle, which I've embarrassingly not seen enough. You ever just are kind of preemptively intimidated by something that you know is going to be challenging, and you never get to it. Uh huh. That's why I've not watched John Dealman. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm having that feeling with mm-hmm. that, which is why I haven't gotten back to reading moby dick uh anyway bennett do you have any parting words for our beloved listeners um yeah i i'll say um you know if if there are any directors that also deserve some mention that we haven't already mentioned uh Kalikala, olivier assayas uh noah bomback uh josephine decker nathaniel dorsky uh asgar farhadi uh josh and benny snafty uh jp snedecki and uh a pitch pong Virasethical. All uh, all directors who really knocked it out of the park on several occasions this decade. Uh, it's been a great uh-huh. gra- great decade for cinema, guys. Let's make uh, let's make the screaming twenties just as good. It's probably the last decade we're gonna get. So uh, let's, <laughs> let's let's hit that ball. Let's hit the cover off that ball. What do you say? Let's hit that wiffle ball into the um, out over the fence. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time on another episode of Real Rap. You can find more episodes on splittoothmedia.com, soundcloud.com slash real rap, and find extra episodes every week on patreon.com slash real rap. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.